This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Finsider Radio, Thursday night. Uh, good evening. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next 90 minutes or so. We'll be live until about 10:30 Eastern Time on Central Time Zone, so it's always a little bit of a struggle for me to figure out the time zone that most of my listeners are in. I assume you're on the East Coast. Tonight we got a very special show. We're going to talk about the decision. For Charles Clay, looks like he's a goner. He's going to Buffalo. I assume as much because his his Twitter page has a Buffalo Bills helmet on it. And he he sent out a a goodbye tweet to Dolphins fans, which is a little bit sad. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll also get into the continuing saga. That is free agency 2015. It continues this week. It Nothing could possibly come close to what the Dolphins did last week, obviously. So if you've been looking to see continued action from the team, he's probably been a little bit disappointed and or bored this week. But uh, the big thing going on right now is uh, Michael Crabtree, will the Dolphins, won't the Dolphins. I saw something today or a little bit earlier saying that he left Miami without a contract offer, which is a, a rarity for the well, for Dennis Hickey and now the, the Hickabomb regime. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. I think there's a contingent of Dolphin fans who are very happy with that news. Judging from my, my Twitter mentions, Michael Crabtree, not the most popular receiver option out on the market. We'll also get into the addition of Kenny Stills. We didn't get to talk about that last week because it happened on Friday and our show's on Thursday. So that was a nice little surprise. And, of course, hours following the, the Kenny Stills move was the uh, the move, the decision to trade Mike Wallace to Minnesota uh, for a fifth-round pick, and I think we gave up a, a seventh. So I think it's right in line with what Chicago gave up for Brandon Marshall. So we'll talk about that a little bit. That's another polarizing move. A lot of Dolphins fans happy about that. A lot of Dolphins fans not happy about it. Uh, worried about that that uh, veteran receiver presence on the uh, or in the receiver core that's gone now. So you'd think that the Dolphins are going to find something to do, or at least look uh, leading up to the draft when they're they're expected to perhaps make a move for a, a big time wideout they can get alongside Jarvis Landry, who's uh, the the premier guy. Uh, in terms of receivers, not counting Jordan Cameron, if you look at him as a tight end, you're talking about pass catchers, those guys are both going to be outstanding this year, provided they stay healthy. Uh, we're also going to get into the, uh, speaking of the receiver talent, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, guys available in next month's NFL draft. It's uh, become more 
uh, more of a focus now that we're we're sort of skating through free agency and starting to get a look at the guys who um, best fit what we're looking to to do on the offensive side of the ball. Are we going to get a uh, a red zone threat? Are we are we looking for a guy who can stretch the field too? I mean, do we want all of the above? Are we are we cool with getting a, a big body who who can uh, kill it in the the red zone and we'll worry about everything? I don't know. We'll talk about it, uh, Chris. So uh, first of all, welcome to the show. So glad to have you on. My co-host, everyone, Duke. I call him Chris. I call him Duke sometimes. How are you? Going well. Yeah, me too. A lot to talk about. And it's funny because we had a lot to talk about last week, and we didn't think we'd be able to top last week, and we certainly didn't didn't uh, surpass all of the insane news that, that happened the first few days of free agency for the Dolphins. But it's been an interesting week nonetheless. Start off with uh, we we kept hearing that Buffalo was going to make that that big offer for all the play, and then we weren't sure it was going to happen. And then Tuesday night it it dropped, and it was for substantial cash, it's substantial enough that the the Dolphins are not going to match. So I, I'm sorry, I'm sad to see the guy go. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that. He sent out his tweet to to Dolphins fans earlier saying that he's enjoyed his time in Miami. And, you know, I hate to see him go. He's honestly been one of my favorite players for the Dolphins the past few years. But uh, Buffalo loading up, its, loading up its deal for him, they clearly want him real bad to the point where they're paying him, in my opinion, in the opinion of many, more than he's worth. In, in terms of market value. So, I mean, what do you think? I mean, we made some big additions to the, the pass catcher group last week. We lose a key one this week. What are your thoughts on it? Hello. I think we lost him. Uh, we'll come back. It's been that kind of night. Oh, and I... Hello, can you hear me? That, uh, yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, Okay. All right, sorry. You're back. Um, I thought you left. I think my phone was on mute or something. Um, the uh, Charles Clay. It depends on the viewpoint with, with Charles Clay. I've seen some on Twitter talk about in terms of annual uh, annual salary. Uh, his average is really was only about less than really less than a million than what Miami Miami's final offer was. But the issue is the guaranteed cash, which puts him in kind of rarefied air in terms of tight ends. He's only below Jimmy Graham in terms of guaranteed cash. So, you know, you, you don't pay for what what you have done in free agency. You pay for what you expect for him to do. So it, are you expecting Charles Clay to become – you know, kind of a an 80-catch, 1,200-yard, 10-touchdown kind of tight end like some of these other guys are. I mean, that's what Buffalo's betting on, and, and you know, I can, I can understand Miami's trepidation there because they, they could match, and they could, you know, finagle some salaries around to, to make it work, but, you know... It just depends on your viewpoint. So in terms of annual 
salary average, it wasn't that bad in terms of the guaranteed and the structure. Maybe it was that bad. Uh, I, I'm kind of glad in a way that Miami kind of stuck to their guns. They made they made the offer that they thought he was worth, and Buffalo just outbid them. And they said, well, you know, that that's what we think you're worth. You know, maybe we're wrong, but you know, at least they made that call. And uh, you know, now we're going to move forward with uh, with Sims and Cameron. And uh, I tried to start something on Twitter today uh, to bring back Gator. Go ahead and get Gator Hoskins back in as our H back. I think he's a free agent now. I saw that he was, I believe, released last week from Seattle. So, um, but anyway, I know the, the Dolphins made their they drew their line in the sand and they didn't cross it. So you got to give him a little credit for that. I think that's the mark of a maturing front office too. That, like you said, they they helped Pat on that that offer that they made. They had a, a clear, developed view of of Charles Clay's value, of his worth in their in their eyes, and they weren't willing to move from that. And it, it's funny that a lot of people kill the Dolphins for overpaying guys, or or being that team that guys use as leverage because they're they're almost guaranteed to get a big offer from the Dolphins. But uh, this this suggests otherwise. This was a, move, a shrewd move, in my opinion, for a front office, and it's it's unfortunate that they're moving on from a a guy who had real chemistry with uh, their franchise quarterback. But and I mentioned this last week. I mean, this is a, a two part problem when you when you place that that transition tag on a guy and you you declare his his value, you put a figure on it, and a team comes along and blows it out of the water, uh, more or less. I mean, then then you're put in a position where do you challenge your pre your uh, pre-existing notion of how much that guy is worth? And not only that, but he's a guy who's coming off of injuries, so it, it becomes a little bit more of a gamble. And the Dolphins weren't willing to gamble uh, this time around. So, I mean, it's you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. I guess I can't think of a really good cliche. In this instance. Well, if you want to look at it in terms of an analogy, it's like, um, in a sense, it was like an auction. Um, you go to an auction and you have a certain amount that you're willing to bid for an object. And if somebody outbids you, then you have a choice. Do I go over what I think I want to pay for that or do I stick to my my original bid? That might mean That means you might lose out on what you're bidding for but at least you know this is the value of God. I mean, imagine if you went, imagine if you went to a car dealership and you're buying a car, and someone else comes up and says, "I like this car too," and you say, "Well, I'm going to, I'll give you, you know, twenty thousand for this car," and that's that's your limit that you're going to pay, and you're not going any higher. And somebody else comes in and says, "I'll give you twenty five thousand for it." You know, you've already kind of set your mark. Don't, you know, don't don't outdo yourself. I mean, why would Miami let Buffalo dictate what they were going to pay? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. It would, to me, it wouldn't sound like kind of a. It would be stupid in a sense that if you're willing to pay him what Buffalo offered, why didn't you just give him back to begin with? If you thought he was going to go to Buffalo, and you knew they were going to give a big offer. 
And you know, of course, they know more than we do about it. So I'm sure there were some kind of channels of contact as to what the numbers could be. Why didn't you just offer yeah. that to begin with? If you're going to match, you know, if they're going to say, we're going to value him at $8 million a year, and you and you really want him back, then why not just offer him $8 million a year? We're talking... Uh... We're talking Charles Clay right now, and uh, he's going to need a winter jacket. He's going to upstate New York, also known as Western New York. Uh, we want to hear what you think about this situation and all, everything going on at the Dolphins. Our number is 347-326-9461. We'll go to the phones right now. I don't recognize this area code. Call it reveal yourself. Is it me? <laughs> um, How's it going? Dolphin stands for life. That's right. You are, yeah. You are the six one five. Yeah, a lot of Ericos that come through here. Good. You're always one of our first callers. It's almost like the show can't officially start until you're you're here. So, welcome <laughs> aboard. And uh, what's on your mind? All right. Well, I have a couple of things that have been kind of irritating me with just some things that people have been saying. You know. A lot of people look at the Wallace signing and the Clay signing, and they're like, oh, well, you know, how are we going to replace this? How are we going to replace that? Well, first off, I've never really been one to, you know, look as far as, like, replacing production. Bottom line is, two years ago, Mike Wallace scored five touchdowns. We went eight and eight. Last year, he scored 10 touchdowns. We went 8-8. Eight and eight. So, whether he scores 5 touchdowns or 10 touchdowns, it really doesn't matter because we still went 8-8. Eight and eight. What I kind of see with this, you know, with this front office set up the way it is, is that they're replacing the culture. You know, they're replacing the culture and they're trying to say, okay, well, we got the pass catchers. We got the Brandon Marshall. That ain't work. You know, we got the Mike Wallace. That didn't work. We let our defense decline. You know, the defensive tackle position was getting older. We let Soli walk. And, you know, we went eight and eight. That didn't work. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to get the most dominant defensive mind. Forget the fact that we already have one of the most dominant edge rushers in Cameron Wake for a second because he can't do it all by himself. So what did they do? They put a value on Sue. They got Sue. People complained about it, said it was too much. But you know what? He's making next year roughly, you know, the same amount that Randy Starks and um, Audric and Soleil I would make together. The difference is, is that he's going to be on the field all four downs. So add it all together, we're basically replacing the money with money. My thing is, is that, you know, it doesn't matter how many touchdowns a wide receiver catches. What matters at the end of the day is how many wins it produces. And Clay, I mean, not Clay, but Wallace was taking away targets from everybody else. I mean, 
give him a little more time and Jarvis Landry could have actually got 10 touchdowns. Not saying, you know, it's plausible, but it's whatever. People just get so wrapped up in how are we going to replace those 10 touchdowns? No, how are we going to be able to get more wins next season? And I think we can do that with this group of guys. Um, what are your I agree thoughts? that uh, it's important for people not to, to not get hung up on that that test, ten touchdown figure you mentioned because the guys you, you bring in you like to think that you're able to those guys pick up that slack and perhaps and then some. I, I think that as long as Jordan Cameron stays healthy, it's a safe bet that that guy is going to be a terror in the red zone, which is what we needed. It's what we have needed for a while. We need that big body threaten the red zone, someone who constantly threatens, uh, and someone who can really destroy the steam, too. I know that uh, we brought in Dustin Keller looking for that, and, of course, that ended most unfortunately. And um, it, we've been able to use Charles Clay a, a number of ways. But you look at Jordan Cameron, and he brings an insane skill set uh, to the table in terms of as a pass catcher and what we're looking for in a pass catcher right now. And then you bring in Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills is an outstanding route runner. That was one of my favorite things. And I can – Duke can vouch for me on this because we watched a lot of tape when uh, we were looking at those 2013 receivers in the draft. And um, he, was one, he was one of my favorites. I think he was one of Duke's too. Because when he was at Oklahoma, he was just an outstanding route runner. He's fast, um, just a just a matchup problem for for teams in that conference. And he fell a little bit because it, it's uh, it's almost ironic that we're picking this guy up who appears to be a humble individual, is uh, has really said all the right things in the press and whatnot. Because uh, I, I'm under the assumption or under the impression that one of the reasons he fell in that draft to the fifth round was because people were worried about his attitude. So I, th- I think it's, it's almost ironic that we bring this guy who appears to be like a young, I think he's 22 years old. He's a kid. He wants to learn. He wants to, he wants to grow with us. He wants to grow with Brian Tannehill, which is really important. I think it's incredibly important that people, I, I mean, it's important that you want that. It's important to have, a veteran presence in the receiver court. No doubt about that. But it's it's really as important. It's like 1A and 1B. You want receivers on this team who are going to grow with the quarterback, who aren't going to throw him under the bus, who aren't going to go ahead and come to him with this entitlement, this preconceived notion that they should be getting the ball all the time. And right or wrong, that's what the – ultimately what happened with Mike Wallace. That was an issue for him the first game he played in the regular season in a Dolphins uniform in Cleveland when he was upset with the team afterward. And then he got his touchdown next week in Indianapolis and everything was fine for the time being. But that's just well, not going to work on this team. It's so, yeah, there's, there's a, I, I want to say that both of you hit on, on two things that I really – I actually thought about writing a post about it, but I'm not going to because I don't to talk about it on, on the show. <clears throat> Number one, there's a lot of concern, people saying, well, how can Kenny Stills replace Mike Wallace's 10 touchdowns? And you'll hear the same stuff. Well, you know, he played with Drew Brees. He was a 
lower ops and he didn't have the same kind of coverage or whatever else. Here's the deal. If you look at it, Mike Wallace wasn't anybody until he was. How do we know, because Kenny Stills has been on a team with other threats, how do we know that he can't become a guy like Mike Wallace? How do we know he can't become as good or better than Mike Wallace? We don't know that yet. We can't just dismiss that out of hand simply because he's not done it yet. Number two, I don't think people realize Mike Wallace's targets were going to drop. Okay, He had 142 targets in 2013. That dropped to 115 last year with adding Jordan Cameron with the hopes that they were going to add Charles Clay back. Those targets were going to drop even more. And given his career catch rate of about 57%, you were looking at Mike Wallace as getting 50 catches, 800 to 900 yards maybe, um, and five touchdowns. Are you seriously telling me Kenny Seals can't replace that? And people are going to say, well, he had all these catches last year. But again, his targets were going to drop. Nine of his ten touchdowns were all in the red zone. They were all in the red zone. They were from – a lot of them were from inside the 15 or 10. Guess who's going to be getting those touchdowns now? That's going to be Jordan Cameron. That's going to be uh, uh, Deion Sims now. Probably even looking at Jarvis Landry some. Yeah, they'll run some plays like that touchdown they did in Detroit where they sent uh, Wallace around on the sweep. They can do that with steals. Throw the ball. He can score like that too. But those red zone touchdowns were going to go away for Wallace. Um, so he just was not going to produce at the same level. So you can just, you know, thinking that he was going to do the same things was not going to happen. So in my opinion, Kenny Stills is replacing 50 targets or, excuse me, about 80 targets and 50 catches, the 115 that Mike Wallace is going to get. That's going to be split up with different receivers. The second thing, Keith, is what you said. When you bring in a guy like Mike Wallace who's a veteran, highly paid, it's almost as if you have to feed him the ball. Same thing with Brandon Marshall. You don't bring in a guy for that kind of money and just let him be a decoy or do whatever. You force feed him the ball. By taking that out and bringing in these young guys, Ryan Tannehill now becomes kind of the boss of the situation. He's like, you know what? I'm going to throw the ball where I'm going to throw the ball. I'm not going to force feed the ball to Steals if the play is not there because he's making 12 or $17 million or however much it was Wallace made last year. He's going to distribute the ball equally. And then those guys in the wide receiver room, they're not going to have that leg to stand on to say, well, I'm this highly paid guy. You need to give me the ball. They're not going to have that. So I, I like that, that they're, they're bringing in these guys that, that Tannehill's kind of he, – he's, he's the man now. It's not Mike Wallace is the man. It's Ryan Tannehill's the man. And these guys are going to kind of work with him, and he's going to let them know what's going to happen, not the other way around. So I, I like that. That's an interesting that point you make because it is Tannehill's contract year, and you hear all these numbers being thrown around. How are we going to pay him fifteen million? How are we going to pay him twenty million? Well, he had a Wallace, he had this, he had that. Of course, the first year he had Bess and he had Hartline and all that other good stuff, and he still did all right. But you know, now you get a true gauge on the impact 
he himself has on the game with these two younger guys, as well as, you know, the other receivers that we have, which kind of gives you a chance to put your own value on what he's going to do. You know, you're not going to give the guy $20 million if, you know, Hartline, Gibson, and Wallace were the reason why he was scoring so much. You're going to offer him, yeah. like, 12, you know, something like that. So, yeah. I mean, it helps in that aspect. Um, would you yeah, mind if we put you on hold real quick? We, we've got a, another caller, and I, I, I want to fit some people in here, but I don't want to let go of you just yet because I want to get your thoughts on, on bringing in a better receiver. Can you hang out for a second, Dolphin fan for life? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. One, one thing I want to so add before we bring in that caller, okay. I've seen a lot of comments on the site about, well, Mike Wallace is brought in to be a deep threat, to stretch the field, to go deep and catch these deep passes. Well, you don't pay a guy an average of $12 million to do that. You pay a guy an average of $12 million to be a complete receiver, to go make the tough catches, do all of that stuff that, you know, number one receivers do. By bringing in a guy like Kenny Stills, he now feels the Mike Wallace role that everybody wanted. He's the guy you can send deep. He's the guy you can just let be the, the field stretcher, that guy. And he's doing it for a small fraction of the price. Well, people seem to still be hung up on the Dolphins need a number one receiver. That's not how this offense is going to work. Now, it's nice if you can have these guys who will have number one attributes, like the ability to get open deep, uh, the ability to make catches over the middle, contested ones, uh, the ones willing to do the dirty work, and the ones that you can depend on when uh, when the game's on the line. Now, how many boxes there does Mike Wallace check? As far as I can tell, he, he checks one. That's a deep threat. Because for the most part, he made some catches over the middle, but he never appeared to be a guy who was willing to do the dirty work there. And I never thought he was a guy you, we could depend on. Like, I mean, if the game's on the line, I want the ball going to him. I never felt that way. So it's important to not to avoid romanticizing this whole thing. I feel like he was paid that much money. He was brought in two years ago. He served. Uh, he was a means to an end at that point. He got a lot of money because the Dolphins had a crap ton of cap room at that point. And, I mean, he really pushed those safety. I mean, he got that safety out of the box. Really put It really stretched the defense the way Ryan Tannehill needed at that point, even if they weren't connecting deep, which is something that people continue to hold against Ryan Tannehill, and I'm, I'm kind of puzzled. Because, like I said, the best deep ball thrower I've ever seen is Warren Moon. And like, I'd like to see how many... Uh, how many people actually out there, not just our listeners, but in general, like younger football fans, if they even they even are aware of Warren Moon. So, I mean, there's more to it than that. And I'm not saying Warren Moon, by the way, is a forgettable guy. By the way, he was an awesome player. It's just that because he wasn't, he played for a lot of hard luck teams like the Houston Oilers at one, at, at uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. He, that guy never really seemed to get his due as a result. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a call now. Um, I always enjoy when we get calls from South Carolina. It doesn't happen too often. Uh, you're on the radio. How are you doing tonight? Good. How about yourself? Doing all right. Yeah, sorry I to like keep you waiting there. We, yeah. What's on your mind? 
Uh, not a whole lot, man. First thing I just want to say is uh, dolphin for life. Always have been. Always will be. And uh, ain't it great, though, this year that we ain't talking about no bully gate and all this bunch of bull crap and about having to get another coach. We're at least this year concentrating on uh, getting ready to play some ball. And uh, I just wanted to tell everybody out there, just, just have faith, man. We've come a long way. We've been through a lot. And in my opinion, I've always watched Dolphins, always will watch the Dolphins. And I feel like we're trying to get a young team that is wanting this hungry, where before we haven't really had that in the last couple of years. You take Mike Wallace, which everybody's complaining about. He had a ring. He's gone. He's had it. He's done. It's not that exciting thrill moment for him. And he still ain't got one. The best of our core are young guys. If y'all remember last year, Everybody was saying, well, what are we going to do with all these receivers we got? We had a stock full of receivers. Well, like someone said earlier on your show, they've got more of an inside scoop on this than we know. And and you see they've got some that they've held on to, some that's still out there. So I'm just glad, man, that, uh, that we having to talk about some some good football instead of, you know, a bunch of stupid stuff. I don't know about y'all, but – I'm getting excited. I'm ready to see our two tight ends, Sims and the new guy, Jordan, or uh, I can't remember his last name, but y'all know what I'm talking about. And uh, I think think we're going to have a good year. Yeah, that's it. And I think we're going to have a good year, man, with our defense. We got a lot of solid young guys, A.J. Francis. You know, we've got Ndamukong Sue coming. Cameron Wake, Oliver Vernon, I mean, middle linebackers. People was talking about drafting linebackers. What about Jordan Tripp? What about, uh, uh, you know, the other two guys that we had? They're they're solid there. I feel like, you know, when we just signed Shepard to back them up, I feel like we're solid there. One thing, the only thing that's going to worry me so far is our offensive line and our DBs. That's the only two things. If we can seem to to get some veterans there or, or get some help there, then man, it's you know, it's gonna be a great year. Yeah, I've said this on Twitter and um you know, we all saw we've seen Jarvis Landry and the fire that, that guy brings. Well, That's you know, right. a lot of people were talking about um, bringing in a veteran presence, and I'm sure we'll get to Michael Crabtree later on the show. But I said this on Twitter to someone. We were talking about it, and they were like, well, we need that that, that veteran presence in the, the wide receiver room. I said, well, you know, we need a, a guy with experience the room or the wide receiver room belongs to Jarvis Landry now. That's his room. And I like that. That's right. Because – he is the kind of guy who's going to push everybody else to be great. Kenny Stills comes in, Jarvis Landry's going to push him. He's going to go out there. He's going to drive him to work just that much harder. And, I, you know, I'm excited about that. Um, and, you know, you're talking about the linebackers. I mean, even if we kept the same linebackers we had last year, they weren't, they weren't great by any means. But and I'm looking through who's going to help them. It's going to be better. Yes. 
one thing I want to add that you, about Jarvis Landry is we were talking about the things that Mike Walsh didn't do. Those are all the things Jarvis Landry did do. And as a rookie, he was willing to do the dirty work. He does work the middle of the field. And he's, and he's clutch. He's a guy I want the ball going to at the end of the game because he's a killer. So, I mean, that's the kind of guy where, yes, you would like that veteran presence in the locker room and in your receiver core. But the fact of the matter is you have a young guy who really did all the right things last year and will continue to do all the right things. And he's the kind of guy you want to build your receiver core around. You want your receivers to all have Jarvis Landry's attitude and approach. Getting Jarvis Landry and and together. And I think we're going to try to have a faster more approachable offense this year because, one, we're going to be out there more. Dignama Kinsu is going to help our offense get out and play more and have more opportunities up and down the field. A lot of people say, well, one man can't do that. Well, it ain't one man, just like you were saying earlier in your show. We've got Cameron Wade. We've got Oliver Vernon. We've got several other people that's going to just, you know, we're going to have a good year. I feel as though I think we should be talking about, you know, leaving Mike Wallace alone, letting him go. He better wear a coat because it's cold in Minnesota. Charles Clay is going to be cold up there. Down in Florida, we're going to be wearing sunshades, and we're going to be thankful we got for what we got. And one thing before I leave, I want to say this. Dennis Hickey and our owner – has been doing a great job. And I think we need to give them more support because there's a lot of other teams out there that don't put nowhere near as much cap money into their team as Ross does ours. So I'm just glad he's our owner, man. Thank you all for having me. Thank you for coming on. Call us again soon. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hickey Bomb, which is the – I think what's the word, portmanteau, is that right? Uh, a combination of those two. Those, those guys have, like, straight-up pimped this off season. I mean, they have just, you know. Oh, they've, they've, been, been, they've been outstanding. I'm going to name my first child Hickabon, regardless of yeah. whether it's a girl or a boy. I don't even care. <laughs> yeah, those that, guys that name, have, uh, that... they've owned it, man. Just just the, the moves they've made, um, you know, They've not. They went out and got Indominus Sue, and everybody's like, "Well, you know, they spend him big again." But the difference is, everybody knows Mike Wallace isn't worth twelve million a year. They can see that. Uh, Brandon Albert got a big deal, but I mean, he was holding up his end of it until he got hurt. And I know people are gonna say he's injury prone, but look at the injury he got rolled up on. You know, that's not a that's not a Jake Long injury where it's just wear and tear. That's just a freak thing. Uh, and Dominican Sue, he's worth that. I mean, that's a, uh, what, what do we call it, Trans, a transcendent talent at that position. He was going to get that money from somebody, and the Dolphins paid. But then, look, you know, they got Jordan Cameron, uh, you know, got him on a good deal. Um, they got a, a nickel corner and uh, Bryson Kane on a good deal. Uh, and they signed one other guy, and I can't think of it right now. Uh, anyway, how you think they got um, – but, you know, they, they've made some smart moves. And, uh, you know, it's I like what they're doing. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, it's a positive thing moving forward. 
we want to uh, bring Dolphin Fan for Life back on. Thank you for your patience while we took that other call. Uh, hopefully, you're, oh, good, you're still with us. Uh, the one thing I yeah. wanted to get to, and I alluded to it before we, we put you on hold, is that we're hearing this thing now about getting a, a veteran presence in the receiver core. The two names we're seeing are Crabtree and Greg Jennings. Would you take either guy? Well, first and foremost, people that know me on the site know that before we signed Mike Wallace, I pushed extremely hard for Greg Jennings. You know, I did too. I, I'm, I like what he brings to the offense. Um, I'm still not soft on him. Now, even though he had less of a production, I don't want to make him like a really, really high-priced guy. So I kind of want to. If Jennings is the guy, then I want to see what we do in the draft first. You know, if he's still out there afterwards, then okay, sign the guy. You know, One maybe thing I saw yesterday a- was. No, I, I absolutely agree with that point. One thing I saw yesterday is somebody compared Jarvis Landry to Greg Jennings, which made a that ton of me. sense. That was me. Was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, even if, even, if, even if it wasn't, you're a genius for taking credit. Uh, so the thing is, well, I, I want to say before we, before we go any further, I do remember you saying that last year uh, after we drafted him, Steve. So, mm-hmm. Oh, I drink too much. Um, well, so, and yeah, okay, sorry. Well, here, here's my thing. All right, when people sit there and say, you know, what are we getting with these guys? They have to remember something. First and foremost, both players started like what fourth or fifth on the depth chart last season. You know, they they made it to, you know, Jarvis Landry started out fifth on the depth chart behind, you know, of course, the big three and our other guy. But he managed to put together a season that made him, I think, second in targets, second in receptions, and second in touchdowns. Nobody else on the team had as many touchdowns as him other than Mike Wallace. Then you get Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills started out fifth on the depth chart. Where did he end up? You know, yardage and everything else wise, he ended up third behind Jimmy Graham and somebody else. So you have these two guys. You know they're hungry. You know, so my question is, they've kind of earned their right to see what they can do. I absolutely 100% agree with that. You know, as far as, like, what I said about Jennings, not Crabtree, he's all right if we need some fodder to push, like, the number three, four, and five guys. But I I did a post on on the blog, a fan post, about another guy named Michael, um, Michael something or other. Thompson or something, we signed him from the Titans. Um, yeah, he's uh, six foot five, two 220 pounds. This guy 
only recorded, you know, played in a couple of games, um, recorded three catches for 27 yards, two touchdowns. You know, that means 66% of his passes, and of course you have to assume he was in the red zone with that little production, but you say we need to get this big body receiver. Well, two of the three times the ball was thrown his way, he ended up taking it into the end zone. So you have your big body right there. Um, Exactly. I I watched a little tape on him, and I have to say I was impressed, especially with his arena games. But as far as like a veteran receiver, if – we're not happy with with the production you know aspect of it then I say yeah go for a Greg Jennings type give him like a two year deal let Landry and I always forget his name the guy we took in the sixth round or seventh round I believe Matthews yeah Matthews I don't know why it's so hard for me to remember his name let those two guys sit behind him and learn and, you know, do whatever. Like you, and I've said it too, that Jarvis Landry is like a Greg Jennings, but why not let them learn from a Greg Jennings? I mean, the guy can catch a ball in each hand if they're both throwing at him at the same time. You know, He's a great route runner, which is, I mean, another yeah. thing I want to bring up about Stills and Landry, Stills and Landry have a lot of similarities in their respective games. Both guys are really good route runners. Stills is obviously a faster guy, but uh, both of them are willing to do the dirty stuff they need to. And, and that I was the thing. I was a. Go ahead. I was, well, I was just going to say that a Landry, when uh, Landry came out of LSU, and a lot of people were were placing more focus on Odell Beckham Jr. because of the forty time, and he was uh, he was the big play guy at LSU. I mean, he was explosive. And I was a bigger fan of Jarvis Landry because that guy was just a, a route running machine down in at, uh, in Baton Rouge. He was outstanding. The guy just had great hands. Uh, I mean, he was physical, even though he's not a huge guy. So I just felt that when we got him in the second round last year, that that was the right pick. That was the first step uh, towards making this receiver core what everyone wants to see it to be, which is like the Packers. That's what we're constantly compared to because of the Joe Philbin connection. Everyone wants to see a receiver core like the Packers. And if you want something like the Packers, you're talking about a bunch of guys who, if if they're double teamed, you might have a problem with, or they might not be as effective. But each guy left on single coverage is a nightmare. It can run routes well. Can can really hurt you from just about anywhere on the field, and there's they're everywhere. They just keep bringing these guys in. So if you want something like that, you look at what we have in Jarvis Landry. I feel like we added a piece in Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills would murder in Green Bay. He would be fantastic in that offense. But he's in our offense now, so you get something a little bit similar. You got this get it out fast type of a type of offense that Bill Lazor runs. So you've got these guys in there. And then you, you look to next month's NFL draft. Well, next month, it starts next month. It goes into May. Have you, are you looking at these, these big-name receivers available in the first round, and do you see anyone 
you want to get next to Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills and Richard Matthews, who's a quality piece, too. He's overlooked a lot, but Richard Matthews is a quality piece. And then Jordan Cameron as well. Do you see, is there anyone who really piques your interest at that point who isn't just a guy you, know, you think would be cool to have on the team, but the guy you absolutely want at number 14? Not at 14, but I could see us dropping down and, and you know, obtaining a third rounder or something and going for the guys that I'm really looking at. And it's none of the, of course, we all know who I would rather have, but he's probably gone in the top five anyways. But, you know, I just hope he doesn't become a Jet. That's my biggest, you know, fear right there. But a guy that I really, really want that nobody really seems to be talking about is Jalen Strong. And the reason being is because he also has the big frame. He's a more than adequate um more than adequate, you know, but I really think that him not being in the top three is going to push him more to do more, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Jalen Strong has a great work ethic from what I've heard. And, um, yeah, we've – Keith and I have talked about that, and we've we've, uh, pounded the table for uh, for Jalen Strong before the – I mean – the one thing about him, and Keith and I were watching some tape on him, the one thing about him that I really don't like is that, uh, I'll preface this, when uh, in 2012, you know, I went to Appalachian State and Brian Quick was a big-time receiver there, and I really wanted the Dolphins to draft him. But one of the things that came out about him during the draft process was he didn't explode off the line of scrimmage. He was kind of slow off the line. And that was basically because of Appalachian State. He did not yet uh, – he didn't get – much press coverage. Everybody he played was just inferior to him athletically, and they had to play off, or else he was just going to go by it. So he struggled with that, and he started to improve. With Jalen Strong, when you watch him, it's, it's almost like, as Keith put it, he lumbers off the line. He doesn't. He ran the four 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 forty time. He had a a, a, a comparable ten uh, yard split. But when you watch him play, it's like he he doesn't. Uh, he just doesn't explode off the line like you want to see. Uh, if, you, if you want to talk about a big receiver that explodes off the line, what's Brandon Marshall play? When that guy takes off the line of scrimmage, I mean, he goes off like a missile. And one thing about Strong that I read is that some uh, people said that when you watch him play, it's almost like he's thinking too much, that it's, it's not natural for him. And yet, anyway, it, he, he's still having to think about that. And uh, that's something that comes with experience. So if you get a guy like that, don't expect him to come in and immediately start. But the one thing about Strong that you're definitely going to get is the guy is an absolute red zone beast. Uh, had like, what, like a 40-something-inch vertical, ridiculous stuff. Uh, really good um, really good uh, uh, broad jump. The guy's explosive. So, I mean, he's got, got a lot of arm Cameron in there. Do what? He's got a huge... Got long arms. He's got a huge catch radius. Yeah, I mean this is this is the kind of guy that's it's you're in the red zone and you run in a play and then there's some pressure. Tannehill scrambles out. You know, no more no more pinpoint throws to to Mike Wallace or Hartline. You just throw the ball in the somewhere in the general area uh, above the defender and Jalen Strong is going to come down with it. 
Uh, and for the rest of the listeners out there, I want to go ahead and give Dolphin Fan for Life some credit because uh, all last off season he pounded the table. I mean, pounded the table for Jordan Matthews, and that guy looks like a steal. So I'm giving him credit there. So uh, when he starts talking about receivers, I listen. So um, real yeah. quick. Real quick, one quick thing, because I know you'll probably have to let me go soon, but I wanted to say this. Um, One thing people have to remember with the Mike Wallace thing and why he got paid so much is because none of our receivers could get open. So they needed him to take the top off the defense because our other guys, compared to him, were slow. And they didn't have the moves. They didn't have the cuts. You know, the in and out of their cuts, they were just lumbering and you know like you said about Jalen Strong they just thought too much about the process okay I got to take these five steps and then cut so they it's, it almost seemed like they were counting their steps before they cut Whereas, yeah you know so that's what they needed Mike Wallace for now you've got a Jarvis Landry who is a real Chris route runner he does it without thinking you get a Kenny Stills guy you know, so that extra few seconds for them to get open, it's not there. Or the extra point zero five or point one or point three seconds, it's not there for them. So you don't really need to pay a guy $14 million so that he can get everybody else open because they seem to do that just fine by themselves. You know. Yeah, and then you add in, then you add in a rookie receiver or even a veteran that we've talked about, and, I mean – You've got guys that can that can get open on their own, uh, you know, and you're saving money while you're doing it. Yep. You've basically got three okay. guys trying to earn their next contract with Stills and, you know, um, and Jarvis Landry and Tannehill because now it, it's not like we're depending on the receivers it's more we're depending on him to take the leadership role. So, to me, that's a win. What would you say if we're drafting at 14 and just by the grace of God, Amari Cooper's sitting there? Trade down, get Jalen Strong. I don't really Really? like Alabama. I don't really like Alabama for their players because they basically – I mean, you look at their track record, they make good guys, but they're out of the NFL quicker than you can pretty much buy their jersey because of the fact of how Nick Saban just runs his players so rampant. The the strain is just, you know, it's too much. I I, I can't... I'll say that the, the the only guy I can really think of in recent memory who... Well, as far as we can tell right now, fuck that trend, although he could wear down as a C.J. Mosley looked good last year. But I agree that, I mean, that is a that is a meat market down there. So so something to uh, keep an eye on. What about, what about Devontae Parker? What if he's at 14? Devontae that, uh, Parker. Devontae Parker, yeah, I can, I can see that. And the main reason is because, I mean, he, he's – a lot better um, with his demeanor than 
than a lot of the receivers coming out other than Kevin White and Jalen Strong. That's another thing I don't like about Amari Cooper is just Saban's players seem to come not as hungry as everything else because they went on the college level, so they just expect it naturally. You know, when they transfer over to the pros, so they don't work as hard. But Devontae Parker, he doesn't show any signs of being that guy. So, yes to Devontae Parker, but no to Cooper because I, I just – I can't really see him – you know, I see him as being another Brandon Marshall, smaller, maybe a little bit faster, but just he'll be expecting the ball. And one of the big things about the West Coast offense is the ability to share around. the ball. You know, a lot yeah. of people say we need a number one wide receiver, but, you know, and you brought up Green Bay earlier, but who exactly really is their number one? You know, each game I, I would say that at this point it's Jordy Nelson if you need to put a, a number on it. Although, as someone who owned uh, Randall Cobb in fantasy, that guy does outstanding work. The important thing is, though, is that it, can, it doesn't have to be one person. It doesn't have to be that player who every time you go in, into, every time Sunday arrives and their number one receiver is getting the ball. It's not like an A.J. Green in Cincinnati. Uh, it's just... Guys, you have multiple guys on the field who are capable of doing major damage. So I love the uh, I love the Jalen Strong endorsement. I do. I'm not thrilled with how it gets off the line. Uh, a lot of it is uh, uh, really you look at how he plays though, and when when he does get down the field, he is a monster. Like that guy is just uh, uh, just wrecks, wreaks absolute havoc. Back there. So That's I like where that laser comes guy. in because, in all actuality, Jalen Strong reminds me a lot of um, what's his face. Um, just signed with the Chiefs. He was playing Wayne for the Eagles. No, he just oh, signed Jeremy Macklin. Yeah, Jalen Strong reminds me of a Jeremy Macklin type. You know, they they're not really. The smartest, you know, but once they get on the field, it's just like talent takes over. I want to yeah. uh, I want to mention about your Amari Cooper take because that's you're kind of bucking the the going against the grain there, but you're not the first person that I've, that I've seen uh, talk about that. And there's a guy I follow on Twitter. I can't remember his name, but he writes stuff for a site called uh, Reception Perception, where he charts receivers and, and things like that. It's, uh, if you can find the site, it's really good. Uh, technical kind of stuff, fun to read. <clears throat> anyway, he was mentioning that um, one of the things that people get kind of really kind of, I guess, confused about with, with Cooper is you, you think being the number one target for Alabama is that he would... Um, he would win more 50-50 balls than he did, but he really didn't. He was about 50%. So when you're talking about Cooper versus Parker, in my opinion, based on the based on the stuff that he, he saw uh, and that information he produced, you're basically trading off a, a guy that's a smooth route runner uh, in 
Cooper for a guy that's going to win contested passes. So if you're looking at what the Dolphins need, I would absolutely say Parker over Cooper just because, yeah, you're you're looking at a guy that's going to go across the middle and win those tough catches. Whereas you've got some, some route runners on the team, and not to say Cooper wouldn't help, but I think he's, you know, I think he's getting propped up a little more on that kind of stuff than he would on other things. Now, like I said, I think they both would be good, but uh, at this point, I think Parker would would go over him. And um, one one quick note about Jalen Strong that I read. I read this several months ago. Is that uh, um, I think he went to his uh, defensive coordinator at Arizona State and asked for a defensive playbook, and he wanted to learn the defensive looks and calls of the team so that he would, when he recognized it, he would learn how to better beat that coverage. And when I read that, I was sold. I was like, when you have a guy that does that, I mean, that, that's that's a desire. That's, that's a desire to be great. You don't, you know, you don't see, you know, pick on Mike Wallace. I can't see Mike Wallace going to, uh, to a coach and saying, I want to learn this playbook so when I see you recognize this coverage, I know where I need to be. I know how to uh, beat that coverage. So you had a guy like that with that kind of determination with a guy like um, Jarvis Landry with his drive and determination. Those two, are gonna, those two would push each other. Um, uh, it's like that uh, iron sharpens iron, just making each other great. Yeah, and I would rather have a guy. I would rather have a guy with desire, with hunger than a guy with gluttony any day. Mike oh, Wallace is a player, yeah. receiver. He wants his targets. He wants his yards. He wants his touchdowns. Brandon Marshall is a gluttonous receiver. He wants his yards. He wants his catches. He wants his touchdowns. Jarvis Landry is a hungry receiver. He wants and he desires to be great. So if the ball goes his way, he wants the ball. Whereas if the ball hasn't even gone his way, a guy like Wallace wants it to go his way. And if you need any proof about that, look at the Jets game. Two targets, sat down at halftime, boom. He's upset. Jarvis Landry still out there making one twentieth the amount. Well, that's why he was brought in. That's something I mentioned, that the real purging of this receiver core in terms of what the team wants to get around Ryan Tannehill in my mind, for the most part, started with Jarvis Landry. I think Rashard Matthews can be part of that. I know that everyone goes back to that game where Tannehill was yelling them to get off the field and whatnot. But I think that Rashard Matthews is a valuable piece. I know Jarvis Landry is a valuable piece. And to be honest with you, the two guys I like the most in the draft right now at receiver are Parker and Strong. And I I like Phil. I'm a huge Philip Dorsett fan, too. Just to input, the, the thing I like about Philip Dorsett and a lot of people overlook this, is they, they see that just crazy speed he brings, and they assume that he's just a deep guy. That guy is an insane route runner. He is outstanding at cutting up the route tree. He really worked at it. I think he's another 
of those hungry types you're talking about, which is why I think those guys are a good bet to end up with this team because this team is looking for guys who are going to want to work with Ryan Tannehill, want to go ahead and become better, want to become elite-level receivers and make this an elite-level offense. That's not going to. That's not something that's just going to be handed out. You got to work for it, and I think you're, they're looking to bring these guys in who are going to make that happen. I think Jarvis Landry was is a key cog in that wheel, and Jalen Strong. Uh, I love that trade. I'm going to I'm going to read this tweet from Kenny Steele. Someone asked him uh, a couple of days ago on Twitter, "Which do you prefer, a thousand yards or ten touchdowns?" His response: Win. Nice. Yes. So, I, and I love the fact that he fell in the draft because people thought he was a problem at Oklahoma. I understand that he was really young when he came out of the draft. If he's 22 now, it means he was 20 when he came out in 2013. And I know that he he'll he'll be I think 23 later this year. Uh, but he's just he was an incredible player in New Orleans, and I understand he had a good, really, really good quarterback getting him the ball played in a favorable offense. He didn't have to be the guy because I mean, you're playing along just enormous players like Jimmy Graham and whatnot. But he wants to win. And I believe that if this team went and uh, went and got him, traded for him, they look at him and say, this is a guy we want around our quarterback. Because my biggest complaint about Mike Wallace is I didn't want him around my quarterback. The guy is uh, really it was a quarterback killer in Miami just complaining all the time. Instead of working with your young quarterback, who's a second-year guy when you hit town, which is funny because he's going to go play with another second-year quarterback in up in Minnesota, and Teddy Bridgewater, a different skill set. And I know a bunch of people are like, well, Tannehill's no Teddy Bridgewater. Well, maybe Teddy Bridgewater's no Ryan Tannehill. The, uh, different strokes for different folks here. But so you're getting these guys who who have similar skill sets, guys who are fast, I know Landry Landry has game speed. He didn't have great straight line speed at the combine last year. But you got get guys who are fast, run great routes. Uh, uh, hungry is a great term that you said. They work hard. They're willing to do the dirty work. They will do whatever it takes to to help this team succeed. Those are the guys you want. I see that in Philip Dorsett. I see it in Jalen Strong. I like Devontae Parker. So if we trade down and take Jalen Strong, bring it on. I think that's great. You, know, you want character guys here. But you, the great thing is you're not sacrificing ability for character. Oh, I know a lot of people complain, like, well, a lot of the great players are, you, you know, you go ahead and you just accept the compromise there that these guys are going to come in and maybe, it, maybe it's a problem, maybe it's not. No, I want these guys who are gym rats, who are coming, coming in and saying, I'm not here to party. I'm here because I get to play professional football for a living, and I my the, my name is on the back of my uniform, and I want to be the best player possible. I think we're bringing those guys in now, and we have a quarterback who also has that approach. You know, one thing about the whole Drew Brees, oh, he had Drew Brees, and, you know, getting in the ball, he, people have to remember it is – Drew Brees was the chef. Kenny Stills was fifth in line, and he still ate like he was third. You know, it's some of that interesting analogy on Kenny Stills. You know, because I mean, he 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 did manage to be 
third in production, and he was fifth on the depth chart as far as, like, reads go. Okay, give Breeze props for making it to his fifth read, but uh, give Stills some props for at least getting open, like, as if he was third. Well, that's what he does. He gets open. And, I mean, like, I I haven't seen anyone have anything bad to say about Kenny Stills in terms of ability down in New Orleans. I know some people complain that, well, he's no Wallace. Yeah, exactly. That's why he's here. So I haven't seen – I mean, I couldn't be a bigger fan of Kenny Stills. I wanted him in the draft. I'm glad we have him now, and we have him – I mean, he didn't even make it halfway through a rookie contract, and we get this guy. So, And he's 22 years old, which is the age a lot, a lot of these guys are when they come out in the draft. So in a, in a lot of ways, you just pretty much made an extra draft pick there. With that third pick that you traded away – that you were going to use on a receiver, you got a receiver who's who's pretty much the same age. Uh, I want to go ahead and take another. We got one more call. You want to stay on and uh, and chat with us? I mean, you're pretty much part of the show at this, this point, anyway. All right, um, we're going to go to the phones. Uh, caller, hello. Hello. How's it going? Hello. 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 It's going good. This is Alpha Six. Hey, buddy. Are you ready? Right <laughs> I did. So, Al is oh, for life a part, of, a part of our panel tonight. So, this is uh, this is the team. Now, before we before we go any further, I just want to let you know I left you some low hanging fruit on one of those comments today on the site. That is. It was on the uh the it was on the uh the uh what is that the free agency live thread and uh there was a lot of action going on there and I made a comment and I figured you uh, the comment I left I figured you'd know what I was talking about most of all so uh, I'll leave it at that. <clears throat> okay, I'm away from the computer at the moment. Um, I didn't want to get any interference. I guess I don't know, but. Uh... <laughs> And listening to the show and then trying to listen on the phone, so I just uh, walked away for a minute. You, you're still into the idea of getting a receiver, right? If you're a Jalen Strong fan too, aren't you? Well, I think I think they it depends on what they do here in free agency. Um, I still think they can go wide receiver in the draft, even with signing Crabtree or Jennings or whoever. Um, You just can't pass a top three receiver that could drop at number 14. I'm getting the feeling now that with all the talk that's that's going on with the the, um, draft class, especially in wide receiver, that – um, there may not be a top three receiver at 14. <clears throat> so it, see, it may see, be got the, a different player. I've kind of got the, the opposite feeling. So it's funny you say that because, I mean, it, we're clearly getting mixed signals, but I feel like the, the draft class is, is sort of gelling in terms of uh, – in terms of tiers, and you get an idea of who's going to go where. Because in the month leading up to the draft, let's be honest, we all panic and think, like, wow, we really want this guy. Is he going to be there? What do we have to do to go get him? You know, how, who's going to go in front of him? I mean, Duke and I are notorious for doing that every year. 
where we like we'll do a mock up right. and say like what are the what are the chances that this guy is going to be available? And the closer we get to the draft, I start I feel like Kevin White I think is a lot to to be off the board. I think he's gone. I think people will fall in love with that that six three frame. Uh, he's a big body guy, and I mean he's just he's fleet of foot. Obviously, I mean he put on a he put on a show in Indianapolis. The the other two guys, I mean, I I agree that that absolutely could happen, but the guys I thought were going to take receivers, Cleveland and Minnesota, I'm not so sure now, and the teams I wasn't sure of in terms of receivers could be, I mean, if the right guy is there and New Orleans wants to go ahead, because, I mean, they need to go ahead and boost their pass-catching group now, too, because, I mean, they just parted ways with Stills and Jimmy Graham. So I think that, I mean, it's, I totally agree that, I mean, those three guys could be off the board absolutely by by 14. But the closer we get to the draft, the more I think that I think you're going to see some guys rise up into that top 10, top 12 that guys who weren't previously discussed. And one of them I'm starting to see in a ton of mocks is uh, Bud Dupree, Alvin Dupree from uh, Kentucky. He's that enormous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he if they put if they put him at three four outside linebacker, he's just an elephant. I mean, to be honest with you, he's big enough to play a four three defensive end. Uh, I think he's going to rise up. I think he'll be in there. Um, I think uh, you're going to see some offensive tackles in there. I don't know if it's going to be Andrews Pete. Uh, I have no idea why Eric Flowers is so underrated. I was a huge fan of Flowers when he was at uh, Miami, and he just. Old. I think he can play. I mean, a lot of people think like, "Well, is he is he a guard? Is he a tackle? Is he going to play right tackle? Is he going to play left?" I thought he looked good at left tackle last year. I don't know if he'll stay there, but I was a big fan of his. So, I you'd like to think that these guys are going to rise up more so. And and I agree. You have that theory I agree. Where is it, it, it only? Go ahead. I was just going to say that when they, when they get up into the top 10 and the top 12, then you have that, that thing where they uproot players we're looking at. So maybe we get a shot at a receiver or a lot of people. I One guy I'm really into drafting, if he's available, is Brandon Scherf. I think if we if we, if we can get Scherf at, at guard, uh, that solves a lot of problems. And Ryan Tannehill is, uh, is living well at that point. So uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead and... Uh, no, I was going to say that I agree that there could all it takes is two players that were not in the top uh, fifteen, say, um, to move up, and somebody's going to drop, and it could be a wide receiver. So I agree with you. Um, so the chances are there. I mean, it's right now. I think it's a fifty-fifty. Um, I think that's that they fair. Could go ahead and a get very fair. Yeah, I think they can get a wide receiver. But and again, just because they're going to sign or they could sign a Crabtree or a Jennings or anybody, it doesn't mean that they will not go wide receiver at 14. So, but if they do not and the top three receivers are gone, then they're going to go in a different direction. Guard is a possibility. Cornerback is a possibility. Um, Trey could drop. Um, um, Gurley will still be there. Um, and then Duke's after a big that, Marcus Peters fan. Yeah. Cool. Cooper may actually be the one to drop. 
out of all of them. And again, I Cooper could actually be the one to drop out of all three of them. I know he's rumored to be like two, and there was an argument over who was going to go first, him or Kevin White. But almost every mock that I see nowadays, or that I do on the the little mock draft thing for fan sided, Amari yeah. Cooper is always there at fourteen. And yeah. I- I think people I do, are just I do those so wrapped up into, like, these other guys, Kevin White. I do see Jalen Strong actually picking up steam. Um, I, I see Dorsett. He's picking up a ton of steam, like, crazy. Uh, some people are even putting him in, like, early second round. But... The one person I think, and it was funny that you asked me about Cooper because that's the one that I actually see falling to us at 14, but I still don't take him. Amari would be a tremendous pickup if he's there at 14. If if we're going to draft him, we might as well sign Crabtree because I think they're the same player. Well, which brings me sort of my next point that I mean, it's a no-brainer that if you have a choice between Jennings and Crabtree, you're taking Jennings, right? Because you have a guy who has a similar skill set to several players on your team already, and you you get that you get someone who's kind of uh, imparting tricks of the trade, just giving them that that veteran, that savvy edge. Because I mean, Jennings is that was the I remember when he first came into the league in 2006. That I remember his first game, he just he just went nuts. He looked great. And I remember thinking, that guy just looks like a savvy route runner, just a really good player. I feel like he's always had that in his game. So if that's something that he can go ahead and share with our current receiver core, I'm all for it. I was a big fan of his two years ago. He gets he gets the diva tag for some reason. I know that uh, he kind of had a rift going with Green Bay toward the end of it. I don't really place a lot of weight on that nor do I really care. It didn't seem like it was a, a big deal. And I think that, I mean, he is a professional. I agree, and I think Jennings, uh, well, let me go with Crabtree first. Crabtree, from what I've seen on tape and so forth, um, he, the the cornerbacks the aren't afraid of him. They, they're not afraid of him getting behind them. Um uh, so they keep him in front. Uh, he, he, I don't know. He just didn't seem to have it in, in San Francisco like he had in college. Yeah. Well, of that could have been the coaching, though. I mean, they had a lot of talent, and yeah, they made the playoffs. But you know, it. it if you draft a me first player with a coach that is a me first coach, then you're going to get a me first player every single time. And those guys don't tend to work out well. Brandon Marshall, no. one of the best, you know, as far as getting a thousand yards per season, me first player has never really been to the playoffs. So, you know, the thing I have with Crabtree is. Number one, he had that Achilles injury, and that that that's some explosiveness from him. Uh, 
if he can regain a little bit of that, I think he'll be okay. Number two, last year, uh, Colin Kaepernick regressed a lot. Um, I remember watching on uh, the Red Zone channel. I watched, what are you, uh, what are you talking about? One time. What's that? You don't, you don't want to trade Ryan. You don't want to trade Ryan Tannehill for him. Slap <laughs> 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 the hand. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, but I mean that dude was spraying the ball all over the place. Um, but for what you're going to get with Crabtree. And I've seen two reports on Twitter. One, I don't know how credible it was, that said um, that he was on a plane to Dallas, which was a connecting flight back to California. I don't know how credible. Like I said, I don't know the credibility of that. I saw one that said John Clayton said he's nearing a deal with Miami. It's about three and a half to four million a year. So that's that's about what you're gonna. That's about the right uh, contract for him. But anyway. If you bring him in, number one, if if somebody outplays him with a rookie or Rashard Matthews or somebody outplays him, you don't mind cutting him or letting him sit the bench. Not a big deal. Number two, even if he's lost some of that explosiveness, he cannot be, in my opinion, any worse than what Hartliner Gibson was brought to the offense last year. I mean, are you telling me this guy can't run a comeback like Hartline can? I mean... That's what you're bringing that guy in for, right? You're not bringing him in to be a number one guy, or you know, or bringing him in to be a uh, a leader. You're bringing him in just to help out. I mean, he's as, as I've said on Twitter that he's a rental. Um, if he are you he, talking about Crabtree? Yeah, Crabtree. If you bring him in, he, he's a he's just a rental for a year. I mean, if he if he regains some of that form, he becomes a great player. Extend him, give him a, a good deal, uh, reward him for it. Or you let him go if you don't want to. It doesn't matter. But a lot of what I've seen about him, everyone's worried about, well, he's a he's a diva. He's a locker room problem. And, you know, here's the deal with that. Yeah, we had Mike Wallace, who people say is a locker room problem. But he was a $12 million a year type of locker room problem. Michael Crabtree is not going to be that for a couple of reasons. One, he's not making any money. So, you know, you, you, know, you can't just cut Mike Wallace. If he if he becomes an issue, uh, you know, you could this year. Trade him in Minnesota. I mean, yeah, I mean, you trade him, but I mean, what I thought, I mean, if let's say this, like Keith said, it happened in the first game against Cleveland. Let's say it developed in. There was no way Miami could have cut him in 2014. You have to deal with him. So with Crabtree, if he starts acting up, you just cut him. You know, you don't have a minimal cap yet. Number two. He's he's trying to resurrect his career. So if he comes in and starts acting like becoming a problem, he's going to be out of the NFL pretty much, or he's going to be working for cheap contracts everywhere he goes. So if he wants to make his money, you know, somebody needs to get in his head and say, listen, if you want to make your money, you want to straighten up, don't act up, you know, and I think that's what would happen. So he may he may be the guy they sign, but he, he's not the leader of that. He's not the leader of the wide receiver room. That's Jarvis Landry. So, you know, he doesn't follow. I agree. I, I agree with everything you're saying with Crabtree, and I, I think I'd like to add or expound on that Heartline comparison, and that is is that Crabtree will not be doing the comeback and then falling down, or coming back and then just quitting on the play and just you know 
uh, avoiding the tackle. Um, he didn't quite go in. Uh, Harline didn't quite go into the fetal position, but he was always he'd catch it and then he'd drop. And I don't think Crabtree would do that. I think he's one of those that would actually excel on the yards after the catch. Yeah, I, every still, time I hear Crabtree's physical. name. I was going to say, uh, remember when we used to go to Walter football all the time? And what does he call Michael Crabtree? Like Miguel Lobsterbush? Yeah. I think that's the name he gave that guy. So I always just want to call him, I always want to call him Lobsterbush, but, like, no one's going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, they, they have Twitter name for him. Everyone's just calling him Crabs, so. I saw some some joke today about how Jameis Winston wants to play with us now because cause he heard there's crabs going to Miami or something. I don't know. <laughs> I saw that on. I can't. I can't take any credit for that. I saw that on Twitter. I forget who had it. I'm sorry if it was you or whoever. If you're listening, so uh, we got. Now we've got about nine more minutes going on here. So this kind of feels like the dream team up here. I wish James was around. I think he ended up having to work. So that's too he bad. Did. I like having my pro- – he's, he's the perfect foil as a producer. And uh, Kevin, uh, the the day after our our uh, broadcast last week, he uh, he sent me a picture of uh, In-N-Out Burger from outside. So – I'm really pleased that uh, James gave him that idea as well. That joke will never die as a result. So, all right, like I said, we got a couple of minutes left. Anything, anything you guys want to discuss before we go ahead and uh, call it an evening? How's your How's what your you... NCAA brackets doing? I, I'm not in it, so I, I pretty ah, much ignore NCAA now that. I'm out of Tennessee because my mom worked for Vanderbilt, so that's how I got the inside scoop on Jordan Matthews. Um, I also got the inside scoop on the running back for the St. Louis Rams, uh, Lacey. Uh, no, not Lacey. Um, Stacy. Yeah, Stacy. From that, because I met them both, and that's why I was pounding the table so hard for Jordan Matthews last year. But... um I, I do have one quick question. What do you guys think about this Tavares Jackson possibility? You have to assume Would that it's uh, uh, in case Matt Moore flies the coop, although I'm seeing now that uh, Matt Moore is is leaning toward signing with the team despite other uh, despite outside offers. So I don't know. I, honestly, I haven't really thought too much about it. Well, you got to have a backup quarterback. You can't go into the season without one, or the team is dead. Yeah, you, you don't want to. You don't want to be out there without a net that can that can get nuts really quick. So, but let oh, me boy. throw something out there. Um, <laughs> okay, well, uh, the, and the Dolphins now have seven seven million extra dollars. With uh, without pursuing uh, Clay anymore, what do you mm-hmm. perceive uh, they could do in free agency with that extra money? Oh man, I don't know. I I mean, I, you have to assume it's going to go. Yeah, it's going to go 
hang on to it or go toward uh, a receiver like Jennings for it. Because you're gonna you're gonna sign Jennings for pennies on the dollar compared to uh, the contract he got two years ago from Minnesota. So um, you're gonna have to wait until after the draft to do that though, because as soon as the mar- as soon as the market dries up in the first round, that's when he's gonna start fielding the calls, and he might not get pennies on the dollar just because he's the last proven real wide receiver that can get multiple touchdowns. So I mean, oh, the no market for him is gonna gonna open up um, after the first round. Yeah, the draft's the only pillar holding that thing up right now because, like you said, he is, he's proven. Uh, he's over 30, but that's that's not necessarily a, a deal-breaker when it comes to a veteran receiver. But, yeah, I mean, desperation will set in at some point if somebody will give him money, which is why if we're going to make a move, I'd like to just make a move and be done with it and then um, go into the draft with a, a clearly defined idea of what we want to do. <coughs> I still want to try to trade Pouncey for Evan Mathis. Oh, wait, contracts wait, so are similar. What, what really happened with uh, Pouncey saying that uh, all that? I know it was it, the people claim that that video was taken out of context, the whole Pouncey mess and whatnot. Uh, did anyone really read into that, or was that something where they looked at it and like, I who cares? I think a lot of people didn't really know who said what because they look so much alike. That's the problem with twins. But, but I, yeah, I mean, like, we see Mike Pouncey all the time. I mean, we know what he looks like. I mean, I recognize the hair immediately. Yeah. Well, <laughs> with, with with him, you got to understand, the ones that were really pounding the tables talking about he shouldn't have said that are the same ones that didn't want him on the team. With me, he's either on the team or he's not. It doesn't really make any difference. My thing with him, I don't think he has any right to talk about, you know, players quitting on the team after what he did to Satelli after Satelli manned the center spot because I clearly watched every single game at least four times, and I watched him take plays off during the game when he would just stand, like, upfield after he made his blocks and leave um, Satelli one-on-one. Or, you know, he would just basically block whoever and then just get out the way. And, you know, until he got to right guard, Satelli was doing just fine. That's why he stayed at center. But then he had this drastic decline once Pouncey got back. And people wonder why. I don't think he has a right to say you don't quit on your team because of just what he did when, you know, putting Satelli out there to drive because he wanted his position back. That's just me. No, I'm sorry. I, I can't can't disagree with that at this point. There's a lot that's come up about about Mike Pouncey over the last years. And I, mean, I was a big fan of drafting him in 2011. I thought he was just outstanding at Florida. And I like how people at the time said, well, he's not as good as his brother. And in my opinion, he's proven to be just as good as his brother. But, yeah, the the stuff last year is certainly more durable, except for the the um, surgery he had uh, leading up to the season last year. Um, but, yeah, but the stuff with Satelli was troubling. So I'm mean, we'll about to see that going forward. So the the Mathis thing is interesting. The team claims that they have not looked into Evan Mathis. I don't know if that's legitimate. All right. 
it's that uh that time of night. Kevin didn't call in. I'm a little disappointed about that. I understand James not calling in. I'm glad you guys called in. It's always nice to hear from you. Dolphin fan for life. And uh no and the uh no the man problem. otherwise known as Alpha Six. Oh like like I said though, every time you call in and talk, I'm like, this isn't how I imagine you sound like. Like there's no uh <laughs> I, I feel like you should have a soundtrack behind you. Like there should be mu- music playing behind you at all times. And there's not. <laughs> so. so something dark. No, like I'm gonna leave my comment out there. <laughs> I'm going to leave my comment out there because I'm not going to joke on on the radio. <laughs> uh, I give Alpha a lot of mess for the whole cell phone thing. So I'm just going <laughs> to... <Yeah. laughs> I'm just hey. not going to comment. <laughs> well, right on, nice right on. For that. I've got the... All right. I've got, yeah. one, final, I've got one final comment. Yeah, sure. Yeah. A certain beat writer this past week suggested that uh, Miami should have signed Trent Richardson. Um, and an interesting stat came out on Twitter that said uh, Trent Richardson's longest career run is 32 yards. Peyton Manning's longest career run is 33 yards. So, and you know who I'm talking about. Obviously, the fat. I don't know why you'd want to sign him when you could trade a first-round pick for him. And I'm also su- surprised that uh, Peyton Manning's only thrown at 33 yards. Man, I know that we, I mean, he slowed down in recent years, but it's not like he was ever uh, a threat to run with the football. So I'm, I'm shocked by all that. And um, that certain beat writer is the, the heartbeat of South Florida, as I can tell. So uh, just keep doing what you do. All right, that's... Uh, that's it for us tonight. Um, our special guest, uh, Dolphin Fan for Life and Alpha, everyone else who called, our friend in South Carolina. It was good to hear from all of you. And uh, we'll do this again next Thursday. Until then, right. we'll talk to you later. Right. Good, good night. night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everyone. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.